have been listening to the Caridian Company of Players broadcast of Kodos, the Executioner. Dateline Jassoom is next on the Gridley Wave Network. On tape delay from the Barsoomian Blade Bureau in Chicago, Illinois. This is the Panthen Press Podcast for fans of Edgar Rice Burroughs and Pulp Adventure. Dateline Jassoon. I'm your host, Elmo, and welcome to our fifth show. Do you read? As fans know, uh, Disney's Tarzan musical opens on Broadway in a few weeks. But with me now in the Dateline Jassoom studio is Steve Schroer, who is writing, directing, and producing another Edgar Rice Burroughs adaptation for the stage. Uh, Steve, why don't you tell us what that is? Well, the show is uh, called simply A Princess of Mars, based on the first book in the series. And uh, it's going to be uh, be performed at the Playwright Center in Minneapolis, running May 11th through June 4th. Uh, three evening performances each of those weekends, and a Sunday matinee. I am. Uh, when I first heard about this, I was stunned at the idea of someone putting a Princess of Mars on the stage. Um, where did you come up with the idea to do that? Have you been a Burroughs fan for a long time? Well, okay, here's the confession. I really don't know that much about Burroughs. I, I wish I could claim to be a, a long-standing fan, but I haven't read that much of his stuff, um, and certainly not in the last few years. So this one book is the one thing that I know fairly well because I've been working on it recently. Um, but the, uh, the idea for the show, um, my, my theater company, Hardcover Theater, here in the Twin Cities, what we do is we take works of literature and adapt them for the stage. So at any given moment, there's a number of ideas just sort of rattling around inside my head, and uh, then every now and then I have to uh, pull the trigger and make a commitment to do a specific show at a specific time. And, uh, and um, Princess of Mars um, kind of rose to the top of the pile because... Um, I don't know. On one level, the explanation is simply I thought it would be a fun show. I thought it would be very interesting and challenging to figure out how to do it. And I thought I could sell tickets. You know? I thought I could get people to come see it, which is always always a big issue. Did did someone suggest Princess to you as as a possibility, or or were you were you aware of of a Princess of Mars? Oh, as, yeah, as I've a book? certainly been aware of Burroughs and his books for ever since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone suggested it to me, but I could be wrong. I, I forget these things sometimes. Too. Yeah. Have Have you done similar uh, similar productions as uh, that sort of present the same sort of technical obstacles as as Princess might? Nothing that presents these kind of technical obstacles. No. Um, we've done uh, other works that are in similar 
similar veins, uh, similar genres. Um, about two years ago, uh, we also tend to specialize in doing works that have never before been put on stage, which is another reason for choosing Princess of Mars, because it's never been on stage, because the challenges are, are so obvious. But uh, two years ago, we did uh, a work that has never before been turned into a play, although it's been made into an opera twice, uh, a novella by Jules Verne and it's called Dr. Ox's Experiment. Um, and uh, I don't know if any of you folks are aware of that. It's not exactly sci... Well, it's, it's, it's more in the vein of speculative fiction sci-fi, if you want to put it that way. Um, obviously, it's not one of uh, Verne's best-known works, but uh, um, it was a... Uh, I thought it was a very interesting story with some great possibilities for staging. Um, I don't know if anybody's interested in hearing about this one, too. It's a two-year-old show that's sitting in my drawer at this point, but it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Well, A Princess of Mars has never been put on film because of the technical obstacles. Tell me, tell me about some of the things you're, you're dealing with as you're getting ready to put this story on the stage. Well, um, let me try to come at it from, from the, this direction. Um, what you have to do, I think, is understand the differences in the media. Um, I myself am also kind of a film geek. Um, I teach film courses at a local university. Um, the, the, the thing about we're, we're talking about material that started as a book mm -hmm. and when you read a book obviously the story appears in the reader's mind through the magic of language I guess you could say um, so you don't need to worry about actually showing the reader things the words do the work for you in a movie you're sort of at the other end you have to show things. Not that there aren't, you know, um, possible mysterious effects in uh, film as well, and because there certainly are. But film is basically a very, very literal medium. And if you can't show something, you can't even really get it into the film. Mm -hmm. um, so the challenge for putting these stories on film is simply that um, you have to do. Uh, all the, the, the creatures, the uh, red and green Martians and the Martian wildlife, you have to do all that stuff literally and make it look right. Um, it's my understanding that uh, Ray Harryhausen, who was uh, one, uh, one of my idols, um, was working on this project at one point trying yeah. to do it. And, uh, and you know, uh, obviously he had his technique down pretty well, but even so, just the massive numbers of creatures you have to work with and not only you know moving four limbs but moving six or more limbs is just too much work i think yeah well let's and, let's let's stick with just that for one second for for example the the green men how how are they gonna look to theater goers on on stage well see the thing is that with theater at least my approach to theater is somewhere in between the complete freedom of the imagination that you get with a book and the literalness of film. Yeah. Um, on stage, you don't have to show people things. Right. You can suggest things. You find theatrical ways of telling people what they're supposed to be imagining, and then you let the audience's mind sort of fill in the gaps and uh, do the rest of the work for you. 
And I can, I guess I can, as you're talking about this, I guess I can imagine things like some of the epic battles that occur. The green warriors were firing back with their deadly rifles. The air was filled with the sound of violent battle. How are you envisioning those going? Well, um, you know, the first thing when you're adapting a novel is you cut a lot of things out. Okay. So, uh, there may not be quite as many battles in our play as you would expect. Um, okay. But certainly the show does end with um, what I'm calling the Battle of uh, Zodanga. Okay. Um, I've basically organized the material so that everything comes to a climax as... Um, uh, as various armies uh, come together to uh, to uh, attack that city. Um, and then meanwhile, in the palace of, uh, of the, uh, the prince, uh, various, sub various uh, subplots involving individual characters in the story are also um, reaching conclusions. That sounds excellent. Um, but... Uh, I'm probably not doing a very good job in uh, in helping you understand what the show actually looks like on stage, am I? Well, I, I think it's going to be difficult for any Burroughs fan to picture this story on stage. But I think you're going to I think you're going to find a lot of uh, us fanatic uh, ERB fans uh, making our way to the Twin Cities to see what you come up with. Well, I, I think that would be great. Um, yeah, I, I we're. I expect that people will not know what to expect from us. They will get something other than what they expect. Right. Um, but I'm think I'm hoping that they'll still like it. <laughs> One thing that that Burroughs fans are are always going to want to know when when someone's talking about doing one of. Uh, as we call him, the master's uh, works, uh, is how closely do you feel that you follow the book, A Princess of Mars? I actually feel, well, I, I've had to, you always have to cut huge quantities from any substantial work of fiction. You know, any, anything novel length, you want to put it on stage. The first thing you do is just cut away absolutely everything that isn't essential. Right. Um, and then you have to sort of rearrange the elements a little bit again so that it you know another one of the big differences between uh, literature and performance um, and uh, this is true of film as well as theater is when you sit down and read a book you the reader are in control of the experience in many ways you can read it at whatever pace you want you can go back and reread etc um, and it can be a much more leisurely experience um, reading the book over a course of many hours or days or whatever. Um, in the theater or in movies, you have to put it together so that it's a single experience that's an hour and a half to two and a half hours long where you just give it to people, you start it up, it goes, and then it stops. Mm -hmm. And you have to structure and organize things differently for that kind of experience than for a book. So. Mm -hmm. So I have, I've combined some characters, I've cut some characters, I've cut bits of plot uh, and so forth, and I've um, sort of rearranged the plot a little bit. But I feel that I've actually been very faithful to the book in terms of giving it a real representation on stage. I think that um, 
you know, people who go looking for ways in which it is different from the book, right, it's not going to take them long to see right. that there are plenty of ways. But I right. think that the experience that we're going to give our audience is really quite faithful to the, to the feel of the book. I, I don't know if you're familiar or not, but A Princess of Mars is the first book that Burroughs wrote, and there probably right. are a, a, a lot of longish passages where he was sort of feeling his way as a writer, so I'm not I'm not so concerned about you cutting a, a few things. One, I think one question that would be uppermost in a lot of fans' minds is whether or not it is set in the time frame is, for example, is John Carter a, a Civil War veteran yes. and, and yes. so on? No, we've, we've, uh, we've preserved that part of it, sure. Yeah. Um, the character, <laughs> here's another question uh, people are probably wondering about. Um, no, the actors are not going to be naked. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was getting ready to ask you. I, I was figuring out a, a delicate way to put uh, that. You know, it was, it was funny. I, I um, just uh, finished casting the show like a week ago, but I had uh, I had locked in my princess some months ago because I'd worked with this actress and I thought she would be really good as a princess. And I uh, did. Did you ask her about being naked? Well, that's that's where <laughs> I'm going with this. Um, I said, you know, do you want to be in this show? And she said, um, well, yeah, let me read the book. So she read the book and then she sent me a note that was um, uh, sort of uh, delicately addressing that question, like, am I going to have to be naked on stage? <laughs> but, you know, I think when you do that, you make it a show about naked people. Yeah, yeah. And it just draws so much attention that unless you really want to do a show about naked people, it better not. I, I, I mean, I think uh, I, I think most fans don't expect even uh, the movie version of uh, Princess to feature entirely naked people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, you said you've, you've finished casting. Can, can you tell us a, a little bit about the leads, uh, um, who you've cast as, as Dejah Thoris and John Carter and, and so on? Well, uh, the names might not, <clears throat> excuse me, mean much to people outside of the Twin t Cities. T tell us a little bit about their types, though. I mean, how you see them fitting into the roles. Oh, well, type is important, but acting is also important. Um, for uh, for uh, the princess, um, uh, a very nice young woman named Amber Swenson, um, who was in an earlier show of mine, um, a, a good actress, dark-haired, um, pretty. Um, I don't know that she's um, uh, as zaftig as a lot of the uh, portrayals of uh, the princess seem to be, but um, I think she'll be very nice in the role. Mm -hmm. For John Carter, we uh, have another young actor named uh, Jamie Rasmussen, who, uh, who um, is, um, well, it's, it's kind of funny when you meet a guy and you say, I'm going to make you an action hero, but... Uh, that's kind of that's kind of the type he is, and mm -hmm. he's also um, he's also a sort of strongly built but compact guy, which is going to help us with the uh, with the uh, jumping. I, yeah, so so he is going to uh, have his earthly strength on Mars and and be doing some leaping and things like that. He will, you know, but bear in mind that in the theater we're going to suggest it rather mm -hmm. than actually trying to have him, you know, jump 20 feet in the air or 100, the theater isn't even 100 feet wide. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we will, we will find a way to present it with a sort of theatrical convention so that the audience can imagine it happening. And it, it does involve uh, uh, lifting him and moving him. Now, how about, uh, are, you going to <clears throat> are you going to have an actor portraying Tars Tarkas? Yes. 
Yes, in fact, Tars Tarkas in my show is, well, I've sort of um, merged the characters of Tars Tarkas and Lorquas Tomel. Oh, really? Now that's yeah, an interesting yeah. combination. <laughs> yeah, because there's not, you know, there's, there's an interesting story that goes on between John Carter and Tars Tarkas. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's one of the most important things in the book. Yeah. Um, Lorquas Tomel doesn't really have that much of a story with John Carter. He's just kind of, you know, the next guy up in the hierarchy. Um, and since this is one of the things that you do when you do an adaptation, um, since there's not really a story there with that character, you find a way to dispose of it. So I guess there is more of a transformation between in the relationship between Tars Tarkas and John Carter, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, I would say so, because that's, you know, that's the story. I'm going to give away all my secrets here. Yeah, yeah, and I, and, and I, I don't want to give away too much either, because I, I think, and in fact, I don't want to know too much, because I'm, I'm really interested in coming up and, and seeing your show, and uh, I think uh, when I do, Steve, I'd, I'd like to uh, have a chance to, uh, to meet some of the actors and talk to them about uh, portraying uh, what have, have been some of my favorite characters since, since childhood. I'm sure we could arrange something like that. Uh, we do lots of post-show discussions. Yeah. Um, as long as we have some warning that there's going to be, you know, people who want to talk to us after the show, it's usually pretty easy for a few people to stick around. I think we definitely will be able to get some fans up there to the Twin Cities to see your show. All right, Steve, I'll let you go. I've got a couple things to do, and uh, thanks a lot for the interview. I this has been fun. Sure thing. I didn't want to finish this show without mentioning the passing this weekend of one of ERB fandom's greatest fans, Bob Hyde, who died Saturday, April 8th, 2006. I've only chatted with Bob a couple of times at a couple of the conventions over the years, but from everything I know about him, he was one of fandom's best representatives. That's it for this week's edition of Dateline Jassoom. Uh, we had to bypass uh, the Jetic of the North this week because, as usual, we are running out of time for this week's show. But uh, on the next show, I, I want to talk to him. And I also want to talk a, a little bit about uh, the upcoming uh, Dum Dum slash ECOF, uh, which the National Capital Panthens will be holding in August. Uh, for this week, I want to thank uh, my guest, Steve Schroer, and on the next show, uh, we'll get to some of the uh, some of the bits people have been sending me for the show. We didn't have any today. I wanted to thank, though, the Podsafe Music Network again for providing uh, some of the introduction music. Uh, it was a song called It Feels Like Home, which uh, Barsoom has always felt like home to me, so that's why I wanted to play that. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later. This is Elmo from the Barsoomian Blade Bureau in Chicago, signing off. Ooh.